he did the thing. Then he said the thing. Then things happened. This is Diana with the full crew today, Dahl, Fenya, and Thad, here to discuss the epic ending to season two of The Wheel of Time. As always with our episodes, I must give you a spoiler warning up at the top. This episode will contain spoilers for both the TV show and the book series, and potentially all the way through the end of A Memory of Light. So you have been warned. Let's go. Let's go. We go back to the top of the tower where um, Egwene, who has been refusing to channel, is going to get her hands cut off. She's kneeling in the middle of the tower, uh, and Rena is like about to drop the knife when the white cloaks who had earlier uh, been using, oh my god, brain, I'm doing the hand motion for the things that they are using to throw the rocks. Oh, the trebuchets. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They've been using trebuchets to attack Falm and attack the city in order to take out the tower where the Soldom and Damane are. Um, It's very effective. They hit the top of the tower with one of the rocks, and in doing so, save Egwene from getting her hands cut off. She gets knocked out. Rena gets knocked out. A bunch of, like, all of the rest of the Soldom and Damane get completely taken out. See, Megan. Yep. And uh, we get confirmation that Megan has died because the collar falls off of her neck. So sad. I guess Megan is not going to be part of Egwene's council after all in Saladar. Guess not. I guess not. I have do have a question about that though, because as we see later, when the Soldom that Nynaeve and Elaine have, her collar doesn't fall. I think it does. It, but it, it did. But it was back on her later. Like it's a continuity error, and it was like I can't. I watched. Mm. Like, how did that get back on? But yeah, that that was. It was weird. Very weird. It is helpful that Egwene learns that this is how you get the collar and bracelet off, though, because she is going to use this to great effect later. Yes. Also, my note here is more head trauma for the Emmonsfield Five. (laughs) There's a lot of head trauma for the Emmonsfield Five in this episode. So much head trauma. Yep. Is it this scene or is it later? Oh, it, it is like right after this scene where the... Soldom that Egwene or God that Elaine and Nynaeve has gets shot in the neck. Yeah, it was like right after that. Yep. And they are uh that's because Nynaeve and Elaine just sort of like wander out into this like clear area and they're like, the tower. I'm like, girls, you are in the middle of a battle. Maybe watch yourself, because then Elaine gets shot in the ankle or in the leg with a crossbow bolt from a white cloak, which makes total sense. The white cloaks are like, this is a Soldom and Demane. I was told to kill them. Yeah. And I, they're probably aiming for Nynaeve, but then they just accidentally hit Elaine because, you know, you can't really aim with a crossbow very well. And this begins the, like, genuinely what are we doing with Nynaeve in this episode-ness for me, because Nynaeve, like, tries to heal her and can't she can't reach the source because she is terrified she's not angry she's terrified yeah except that i'm pretty sure in the books that battle would make Nynaeve mad because she would get so irritated by like the use the senseless killing that she would get angry enough to channel i can see that possibly but at this point she's clearly terrified yeah and that's fine-ish except that that's Nynaeve's whole thing so what are we doing with her we don't, I don't need her to be able to channel right away. I'm okay with it in this in this scene. We get to Perrin um, being reunited with Matt. They're like looking through. They can hear that there's sounds of battle behind them. They're looking through the smoke. And then they see Matt running up. And he's like, oh my God, Perrin, thank goodness. Um, and just seeing them reunited was 
so amazing. It made me so happy. The then they get chased by by Sean, or he's getting chased by Sean Chan, and they start battling. We get back to Egwene and Rena. Rena like wakes up, pushes off the shield, the or the like whatever metal thing had protected her, and goes up to Egwene, yells at her, and is basically like, it's all your fault that all of this happened. We were supposed to be guarding the area where the rock came from. And she starts torturing Egwene with the Adon. Egwene withstands it and then puts the collar that had been on Megan on Rena. It's like, yes! Rena's like, tee-hee-hee, this isn't going to work. I can't channel you, stupid, stupid girl. And then the collar forms itself on Rena very slowly. And it's like, ha! <laughs> I just love, like, Egwene's like, I, I know. And this, like, this smirk <laughs> as the collar starts to form. Like, I know. Yep. And Egwene tells Rena, like, I figured it out. You ob- you can also channel. This is the big secret that the Soldom, or that the Shanchan culture is based on, is that Soldom can also channel. They just only channel super weakly, and they wouldn't have really been able to generate their power at all if not for the Adon. In the books, the way it works is that there are women who can channel. And there are women who will channel no matter what. So those women are the women with the spark, like Egwene and Nynaeve. These women are eventually going to seize the source at some point in their lives. And if they aren't, don't learn to control it, it will kill them. And then there are women who have the ability to reach the source, but have to be taught how to do it. And in Shanchan, the Soul Dom can use the leash, but they don't have the spark. And the, the Domine have the spark, and they're, that's how the collar works initially on them. And so the soul, it doesn't initially work on the, the Soul Dom until they've embraced the source through the Domine, because they can. So, like, that was the difference. And the Shanchan, they were not aware of it. They didn't realize how the dynamics of it. In the books, both, I don't, I don't think it, her name was actually Rena in the books, but whoever that dominant or Soldom was and Seda, they were left with the collars on and they got so much shame from that. Like uh when the the, the other Shanchan found them like locked up with this collars on. So they like lost all their rank and weren't allowed to, to hold the leash anymore. But nobody wanted to say it out loud because it would bring everything crashing down if they realized that all of the Soldom could actually be collared. Yeah, especially given who we learn trains Damani later. Mm. <laughs> um, I really love that we have Egwene learning this, like specifically Egwene and specifically Egwene calling this out so that in a very much later season, we can hopefully get a really good confrontation between Egwene and my problematic fave. <laughs> Which is all I will say. If you've read the, read the books, you would know who I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Egwene then channels at Rena, which I'm like, I don't feel like she should be able to do this, but I'm not going to worry about it because it was cool. She channels at Rena to lift Rena up and drop her onto the spike by her collar the same way that Rena had done to her in episode six. And then Rena is choking and Egwene, like the absolute badass that she is, just stands there and tolerates also feeling herself being choked twice over mm-hmm. you can see madeline Ma- made it madden i never know how to pronounce her last name which is why i'm always hesitating when i say her name i think it's madden because i think it's m-a-d-d it is m-a-d-d it is but you can like see her neck moving as if she's like also being choked she does such a good job of in this scene just like acting like she's clearly in pain but withstanding it rena is like you'll die too if i die and Egwene is like yeah i don't i don't 
care. And then Rena is like, okay, okay, like if you really like if you release me, I'll release you. In fact, I'll release you first. And she does. She takes the bracelet off, which has the collar unformed from Egwene's neck. So presumably there must be some because Rena, we've seen Rena take the bracelet off before, and obviously it hasn't uncollared Egwene. So there must be some sort of intention behind it, which makes sense. That makes sense for how a Terangriel would work. Yeah. And the bracelet drops off, and then Egwene's collar drops off, and then Egwene does not free Rena. She watches Rena die in cold blood. In the theater with all the fans, everybody cheered at that point. And I'm like, this feels a little, <laughs> but also I'm cheering. So. All we needed was one more good girl and I would have been cheering too. Yes. I hate Rena. I hate Rena. Julia Mendez Jones did an incredible job with Rena. Yes, I did. Like, oh my God, Rena's probably the like most hateable character this season. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, like Egwene kind of like collapses from all of the trauma that she's been subjected to for the last God knows how long. And Rand shows up right as she's like, just like about to just looks like she's about to pass out. And it seems to me like Egwene thinks that she's hallucinating that Rand is there. I believe she does. Yeah. <laughs> because she's still remembering the dream that he came to without realizing that that was real. Yeah. So like she thinks it's just another dream. Yeah. But Rand is real. He's really there, Egwene. He was coming to save you, but you don't need a, a man to save you. No. You just need a man to give you a hug. <laughs> and Rand is like going to pick Egwene up um, and Kate take her off the tower. And then Ishamael shows up to crash the party. And then we cut away from them. Uh, we cut back to Matt and Perrin, and Matt is like, we need to get the horn to Rand. And Perrin is like, what? And Matt's like, no, 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 he's alive. He's alive. He's got shit hair, but he's alive, which is my favorite line this whole episode. <laughs> he's given him so much grief over the hair. <laughs> I like the hair. I think it looks good. But, you know, who am I to judge? <laughs> but, I mean, you know, best friends have to give each other shit over new, potentially questionable haircuts. It's the law. Mm-hmm. It's true. And Matt's love language is negging people. So, you know, I'm not mad about it. They're continuing to be in battle. And Perrin is basically like, Matt, you take the horn. Or they haven't gotten the horn out yet. They have the horn in the box. They can't figure out how to open the box. Sorry, my notes for this part are literally only that line from Matt. <laughs> so I forgot the whole rest of the scene. Yeah, Loyal says they have to get the horn to Rand. And Perrin's like, we can't open it. And Matt's like, say no more. Whips his knife around and just melts the box. It's a really good thing he didn't stab the horn. Can you imagine? I... <laughs> that was quite lucky. To Varen. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe that's why the horn was so ugly. <laughs> I liked the horn. Okay, controversial opinion time. I liked the horn. I thought it looked great. It looked like something I could buy at a CB2 for, for decoration in my house. <laughs> That's a great looking vase. But this is horn. It looks like a Nautilus shell to me. It does look like a Nautilus. And I like because like Morocco does a lot of that kind of hammered bronze. So I like that it calls back to where they're filming. But I would absolutely display it in my house. Does it look like a horn? Maybe not, but I would absolutely display it in my house. Oh yeah. I mean I'd put some flowers in it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure I could get one pure one. Uh but yeah, it's not a horn. <laughs> I mean, it's not what I would have gone with for a design for the horn. I also like it, but that's because it's shiny and gold. And so if something is shiny, I'm going to like it because I am a magpie. I mean, yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. Matt does take the horn and he still has his spear. 
And as the Sean Chan are continuing to rush up, he like kind of hesitates and they're all like, go, Matt. And so he's like, oh my God. And goes, um, and either Bane or Chiad very handily like shoots to Sean Chan who are chasing him. Um, like badasses that they are. Then uh, Ishamael, we're back with Egwene and Rand. Egwene originally is like, screw this. And she tries to channel it Ishamael. He casts her aside with air immediately. More head trauma for her. And throw i think he also throws rand from what i'm remembering uh i think rand starts to charge him as soon as he tosses her aside and ishamayel stops him like with a calm of air or something yeah and then the um they get the signal from ishamayel the the shanchan demani and soldam on the ship with seroth and they shield rand again poor rand and I, th- I can't remember if it's here or later, but Suroth is like, hold the shield until we get the sign to gentle him. Yeah. So she is all in on the plan. And it makes me so sad every time Rand gets shielded. Like the, the look that Yosha gets on his face whenever he's acting as Rand in a shield just absolutely breaks my heart. I also like that it takes, I think it was like seven or eight Soldom to shield Rand, which is a great way to show that the Shan Chan Demane are not as strong as Swan. Swan is one of the most powerful channelers in the world right now. So also proof that the Shan Chan Demane, who had been pointing out all of the women, the like blonde one who we see a lot, that's probably not Olivia, which would have been wild to get Olivia this early. But yeah, I, I didn't think it was, but proof that it is not. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going back to Nynaeve and Elaine and Nynaeve still can't heal Elaine and doll like you referenced this is when elaine is like use what you know you're a wisdom and so nynaeve pushes the crossbow bolt through elaine's leg doesn't really give elaine anything to like bite down on for the pain which i probably would have but that's fine and then she doesn't channel elaine's leg closed so they don't she doesn't even bandage the wound as far as i can tell they just get up and they're gonna go walk to Egwene. yeah like she just pushes the arrow out and without a bandage, she really would have needed a bandage, especially if she had hit an artery or anything. So, like, maybe not the best wisdom skills there. Yeah, uh, I don't. She's traumatized from being shot at in battle. She can't remember basic wisdom skills. That is the entire point of Nynaeve at this point. <laughs> that is all she is good for. She is their healer. She is their barbarian healer. What are we doing? (laughs) I mean, I do agree with you that she should have bandaged the wound. I don't mind that she can't channel it closed because she's terrified. We know she has a block that's been consistent this whole episode. But I do think that she could have like torn a bit of her outfit off and bandaged it or something. Something. Or something or a dead white cloak. Like if they have plenty of white linen, she could have used. I am of two minds of not having Nynaeve use her block here. Obviously, as you can tell, I'm a little bit like genuinely, what was the point of Nynaeve in this episode? On the other hand, I do like that we see how much of a problem the block actually is. Yeah. In the books, it felt like the block was convenient, like a convenient plot device. And then really, whenever Nynaeve actually needed to channel, she could channel fine. It was no problem. So I do like that the show is like, no, 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 like, this is a big issue. We will get to the one time when I am like, like, the the time at the end of this episode where I am truly just like, so angry, like, mind explodingly angry that they don't have Nynaeve channel. We're not there yet, though. We are with Perrin, who is fighting with and then against the White Cloaks, because Dane Bornhold shows up and is like, two rivers! Hello, my friend! Two rivers, hey! 
And Amonvalda is like, aha, <laughs> and starts immediately attacking Perrin. He pins him down. He looks like he's about to slit his throat. And then Hopper comes in and rescues Perrin from Amonvalda and, like, gets on Amon, like, jumps on Amonvalda, grabs his arm, shakes him, like, is like, ah, shaking his arm. And Joffrey Bornhold is like, screw this, and chops Hopper with an axe right in front of Perrin. This is the most terrible scene. <laughs> Yep. We we needed a does the dog die warning after all. Yes. I mean, we knew it needed does the dog die warning. I've already warned one of my friends who hasn't watched yet. I'm like, so you get to meet a new character who has four legs. She's like, oh, he doesn't die, does he? And I'm like, yes, but no, but yes. Yeah, no, yes. He doesn't, except that you do see his death on screen. But he's not dead, we promise. <laughs> he's not dead. He, you'll see him again, but he's dead. She's like, why do they always kill the dog? <laughs> <laughs> because Perrin needs a spirit animal companion. <laughs> yes. So this was like the first question that the interviewer asked Rafe. <laughs> he's like, yeah, the, the first thing they tell you when you start working in TV is that if you kill a dog on screen, then people will hate you and they won't watch the show. And that's exactly what I did. He showed epic restraint. He didn't do it in season one. And he could have. <laughs> yes, he could have. It could have happened earlier. So yep. It wouldn't have had the emotional impact in season one, though, because at that point, we didn't even know Hopper's name. Yeah, he did a point of they wanted to make hopper a character rather than just a dog so he told the cutest story the dog actor he, he said the name and i don't remember what it was now but she, they had her come out and spend several weeks with marcus like between sets so they like had a, like weeks of like playing around so that they actually had a bond like they would go on walks and and she would just follow him around my heart my heart i'm literally crying i know I'm, this is so <laughs> cute so, like, they would, and like when they came back to set after like the, the hiatus between seasons and she saw him again she comes running up like ah, i'm so happy to see you and like so they actually look like you know they they were working together as a bonded pair because they were did marcus adopt her I don't think so, because I think she has a job. Yes, being his animal <laughs> companion forever. <laughs> That's her new job. Forever. <laughs> I'm assuming we're going to see Hopper. We're going to see more of Hopper in seasons three and beyond. But yes, I believe so. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Like, we know what happens, but yeah. He's like, we didn't want to use just a CGI wolf because they never look good. It's true. They don't. They don't. And you can't use real wolves. So that's why they went with the dogs. And Halapinka, that was her name. Halapinka. <laughs> so cute. We get this really great shot as Hopper is dying, uh, and it's so sad. <laughs> Hopper's spirit basically rising out of his body and like jumping into the air with like sparks of fire and like going back into like the wolf dream. And it's so cute and so sad. And then Perrin does the most understandable thing possible and goes into a massive rage. His eyes turn yellow. I'm kind of hoping we get yellow-eyed Perrin for the rest of the show at this point. And he picks up an axe and axes Joffram in the chest. Justice for Hopper. He gets justice immediately and does it right in front of Dane Bornhold, setting up their rivalry for the rest of forever. 
Dane still doesn't know his name, though. He's screaming, two rivers, as they're dragging him away, which for me slightly took away from the shot, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, at that point, every time I've watched it now, I'm sobbing so much that I didn't even pay attention to what he shouted. I'm just like, no, it's so sad. (laughs) Yes, and I got to watch it again on this giant screen in, you know, 6K with Dolby Atmos surround (laughs) sound. most traumatic yeah um we get to matt who has run up to the walls of the farm fortress and then there's an entire horde of sean chan in front of him and he's like oh god what do i do what do i do and he panic blows the horn like my baby boy <laughs> so proud of him i'm pretty he doesn't do exactly this in the books but he does panic blow the horn in the book and i love that for him it's pretty close to the same yeah yeah it's not exactly the same but pretty close we get time slowing down um the sean chan start running in slow-mo we get slow-mo shots of all of the different heroes he did he did the thing (laughs) and then we get the mist forming behind matt and the heroes of the horn coming out of the mist oh and it's this is for me the best part of this episode like this scene more than any other scene saves the episode for me We get all of the heroes that we know and love and some heroes who we don't know and who we can fan theory about. We get, I'm not going to say his name right, Hawkwing? It is Arthur Hawkwing. Okay, Hawkwing. I always call him Hawking, and that's not correct. Well, in the credits, in the x-ray, he's credited as Arthur Hawkening. The Hawkening! (laughs) Blowing the the horn is no longer sounding the horn, it is the Hawkening. I'm sorry. I hope that was a typo. (laughs) It's Arthur Hawkwing, not Arthur Hawkening. I don't know. I think in the next um, editions of the book, they're actually going to change it. It's going to (laughs) be Arthur Hawkening. Hawkening. (laughs) I love it. We don't, I would have liked to have Matt say his name. He's the one hero who I wish we had had like named in this scene because it is, he's, as far as I understand it, the leader of the heroes for the horn. And so like, it would have been nice to have him called out, but that's okay. Uh, We also see Amaresu, my favorite hero for the horn. She's the one who is all in Japanese garb. I've talked about her on a previous episode. She is based on the Japanese goddess Amaterasu, and that's why I love her, because I am a Japanese nerd. (laughs) Not actually a Japanese person, just a nerd about Japanese culture. (laughs) We see Birgitta slash Bridget. I can never remember how to say her name. It's Birgitta. Birgitta. And Uno is standing right next to her. So confirmation that Uno is a hero for the horn. And then there's a bunch of other heroes who, Doll, you have done incredible speculation about that I can't remember at all because I don't remember any of those. Yeah, it's out there. Other people came to similar conclusions. That's the You have the, the brother and sister that are there. They look sort of Indian with the... Oh, with the red eyeshadow? She has, yeah, red eyeshadow. Like in the, the series, her, she has a red mask. So I'm thinking that's a call to that. And then clearly your brother and sister or at least related because they have similar like jewelry and stuff on. And I, I'm not going to try to pronounce their names. Uh because I can't remember them off the top of my head without looking. Hmm. And you have a bunch of people that could be just about anybody. Like, the further back they get, the more vague they get. There's been some speculation that the person that's right next to Brigida is Michael. Hmm. Um, uh, forget, he's based on a, an Amer- like a, a Catholic Saint Michael. Um, but I'm actually wondering now, because of the way his face 
makeup was and something you mentioned earlier in this episode about how the Sean Chan have the black makeup. I'm wondering if it may be Luther Pangdrag. Oh, is Luther Pangdrag also a hero for the horn? He is not named, but there are hundreds and we only get like a dozen or so named in the books. So they could just be just about anybody. That'd be awkward if it was Luther Pangdrag showing up to fight the Sean Chan. It's already awkward enough that it's Archer Hawkwing fight showing up to fight the Sean Chan. I mean, they very clearly have like twisted like their history. Like the Sean Chan had some beliefs about Arthur. I mean, well, Luther obviously twisted things himself. His the way he dealt with the ice die and everything was not necessarily great. But I, I think we might be right. He looks a little more Celtic, like the like so it could be the, the Saint Michael. Um. I can't remember who any of the other ones were specifically that we had. I don't think we have anybody that looked obviously like anybody else. So there was like a lot of speculation on who the others were. And there's obviously a lot of very vague looking people in the back. It looks like there's some Aiel on one side Mm -hmm. because they have spears and their faces are covered like in veil. So they may be some sort of Aiel legend. And then you have just random looking soldiers that are almost too blurry to see. It looked like there was someone with a trident, from what I remember. I have a very vague memory of this scene. Yeah, that's one of that's one of the the brother and sister that I mentioned. Oh, that's right. Okay. I would, like I said, I have to pull up. The, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but uh, yeah. But we can we can go on. Like people people out there have definitely done the same amount of work. Like that's out there, and more or less agree with me. Yep. Matt, when the heroes are all assembled, Matt says, I remember now, I have always fought alongside you. I've always been one of you. Confirmation that Matt is a hero for the horn. I will take it. No slander to my baby boy. He is not a dark friend. He is a hero. I mean, he literally said it. I'm a hero. Yep. He he is a hero. I love Matt. Um, And then he says, it's time to toss the dice in the old tongue, which I can't say. (laughs) I can't pronounce it at all. (laughs) Yes. Duh. You know, I practiced it last week, and then we didn't record. And now, Dovi and the sometimes I don't know. Dad is wearing the shirt. I can't read it. I can't read that either, Barry. It's too. It's too blurry. Is that a Jenga piece with that written on it? No. Okay. Dovi Andi Saitanvia Saigon. I don't know that I'm saying that anywhere close. I am Doviandi Saitova Tovia Saigon Saigon something like that. Doviandi Saitova Tovia Tovia Saigon Saigon. I don't know. I'd have to practice it again. (laughs) I would love to take an old tongue class, except that I am hot trash at foreign languages. It's not even a language. Yeah, I just I I would be garbage at it. If I tried to do it, it would all come out sounding French because whenever I try to learn a foreign language, my accent is very French because I try to pronounce everything like it's French. So just ignore half those vowels and then you got it. It's not wrong. It's not entirely wrong. Yep. But yeah. Uh, the heroes look great. This battle looks super, super cool. I love the way that they have like an after image effect where the heroes look like they're moving slightly faster than everyone else. Mm-hmm. I I really, really like this visualization as a way, a kind of like a nod to the mist that the that happens in the books when the heroes show up. I thought it looked super cool. And also the scene is bright, 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 bright. 
which would make it really hard to do all of this editing, but they made it look awesome anyway. I really, really love this scene. Uh, Matt like charges through with everyone else. And then we're like really in chaotic battle time, kind of a nod to the way that Robert Jordan wrote battles in this like very chaotic way where the because he does first or third person limited, the character whose point of view it's from is like getting flashes and not really understanding a really cool visualization of battle. So I'm going to try and make this somewhat coherent, but understand that I'm probably going to miss things. Uh, Also, this we are very close to my notes just not existing anymore. I know that at one point Uno goes down and helps with Perrin's part of the battle and hands Perrin his shield. Very helpful for later. Yeah, I didn't catch that the first time. I was trying to figure out when we see what happens with that shield later. I'm like, how does that? I don't understand why it's working. I did once I realized where he got that shield. So that was a a very important. Uno gave them a shield that's obviously from the horn. So it's not just a shield. Yep, not just a shield. It's important that Uno gives up the shield because then he draws two swords, which is a nod to Geidel Kane. And I believe that Rafe or someone have more or less confirmed that Uno was a was a version of Geidel Kane um, in this life. So we have Uno as Geidel Kane. I love that. And I love that for Brigida. You go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He also made a point of um, talking about that as a shorthand way to explain what the horn was to the audience who had not read the books. And it made so much sense when he said that. Because, like, I could sit there and explain to you, it's like a magic horn who's bringing back these heroes from long ago and they're going to fight in this mystic battle. Or, you know, we could see somebody who died bravely that we already know to be a hero who comes back with the horn. And we've we've explained it to you. And without saying a word, you understand what's happening. Like, it, it clicks without having exposition. I'm like, that's actually really smart. So if you had to kill Uno, okay, I'll live with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. It does also mean that we'll probably get Uno. If we get Geidel Kane and Brigida dream scene or uh, Teleron Riyadh scenes later, we will probably get a little bit more of Uno's actor, which will be great. Then Matt fights his way through the Sean or... Uh, Actually, we haven't quite gotten there yet. We cut back to Rand and Ishamayel, and they are having a conversation on the tower. And Ishamayel is like, join us. Like, you know, you you really want to. Like, I already have your friends. You can see because you're not here, your friends were all like became under my control. So really, you should join us. We don't need to fight anymore. And Rand is like, I will never join you. Um, and then Matt, who has fought his way through a bunch of Sean Chan, shows up and is like, I, I can help Rand. I have the perfect plan. And chucks the cursed spear into a Shamael, who was a, uh, a illusion, fades away and hits Rand right in the side. Not the best for Matt. Uh, not good thinking. Like t- Matt, maybe angle it in a way where Rand isn't directly in your line of fire. <laughs> Matt has already used up his two brain cells. Sorry. <laughs> That's true. It's true. They're taking a break now. They're on vacation. And it, I was interested that this is how Rand is going to get his presumably first side wound, because this is not when he gets the cursed dagger wound in the books. Uh, I'm trying to remember when they got it. I don't remember. I feel like it's like seven. Pat and Fane stabs him. That's all I remember. Yeah, I don't. It's not where he gets it in the books, but it's obviously what it is. I don't hate it. It's more that I really want them to also have him get the wound from Mishamel at some point, even from somebody else. It's just 
kind of essential that he has both wounds stacked on top of each other. Kind kind of really, really important for him to use that or some other way to figure out other stuff later. So hopefully they square that hole at some point. Yeah. Matt goes up to Rand and is like, oh my god, I'm so, so sorry. And Ishamael is like, I'm sorry too, friend, and is presumably about to kill both Rand and Matt. Um, and then Egwene stands up. Egwene, who has had one of the worst days of her entire life, and she is like, screw you, Ishamael, and starts channeling at him. She channels, I think she does like a fireball at him or something. Or a gust of air and like pushes him back. Yeah, I think it's like a gust of air. It's like a shield made of air, and because she holds that shield for quite a while. Yeah, as as Ishamael is then doing the fire bullets at her, trying to break through, and Egwene is real pissed. She's so grumpy because she's gotten hit in the head a lot. She almost got killed. She had to kill some white cloaks. She's already murdered someone today. Ishamael, <laughs> you might be next. Ishamael's like, you cannot face down one of the chosen child. And she's like, try me. Try me. <laughs> I, I uh, have mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, the rampant Egwene fangirl in me is like, absolutely, absolutely let Egwene fight Ishamael. On the other hand... Let Rand do something. Rand's still shielded. I, I understand that that is the plot of the show. Rand is the dragon. Let Rand fight Ishamayal. Like, fight, fight Ishamayal. For real. <laughs> Rand's gonna have, I mean, he's got six other episodes to do stuff, though. You mean seasons? I don't, I don't mind him taking a back seat. Because Egwene has been training. You know, yeah. she's gone through this really traumatic stuff. Rand... He's had a couple of sword fighting lessons from Errol, sure. He's had one scene with Loghain where Loghain kind of fails to explain anything and then pours wine out. And so Rand's just kind of doing everything, like, as he figures it out. Figures it out. You know, Egwene, it makes sense that Egwene's the one to kick ass right now. He, he also killed, like, eight Chan Chan at once. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Mooks, he's not fighting Ishamael. Like, let him fight a Forsaken, for goodness sakes. He will, eventually. Why would he fight them when he can screw them? That's true. <laughs> uh, speaking of Rand being shielded, <laughs> we're back to Moraine and Lan on the beach. And Lan sees the Shan uh, Chan ships. And uh, they're also being attacked by, like, a group of Shan Chan running up the beach. So we have this beautiful visual of Moraine like making the most intricate fireball ever because it takes her like 20 minutes to do it. She's gotta she's gotta make it withstand the ocean because she channels it underwater. <laughs> and, then, and then as Lan is like slicing through five million Chan Chan all by himself, at one point he like grabs an arrow out of the air. Two. He does it twice. He does it twice, but like he turns around and then stabs another Chan Chan with it and then catches another one. It's just like, it's a beautiful scene. Again, with the, the overhead 360 shots, like going around them and like this beautifully in, like coordinated fight scene where Lan is just doing these r ridiculous things that I am assuming are c CGI because I can't imagine that <laughs> they actually coordinated him catching an arrow to stab somebody with. It looks great. And it also is so reminiscent of season one, episode one, when they were fighting the Trollocs on Winter Night. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we are back. 
Mom and dad are back in action, yes. guys. The Emmons Field 5 will be fine because mom and dad are back and they're friends again. I do have one question about this scene, and that is, Marion's playing a little fast and loose with three oaths in these uh, fireball torpedoes. Yeah, unless she knows the people on the ship are dark friends, because they are. My theory is that maybe she thinks of Rand as an Aes Sedai because he can channel. And you can use the one power as a weapon in the last defense of your life or the life of another Aes Sedai. Or your life of your warder. Or your warder. Or against Shadow Spawn or Dark Friend. Yes. There's a there's a lot of wiggle room for her here, but I was like, Myrene, should you be able to do this? I'm not going to worry about it. This looks cool. This was where I was like, fine, fine. This looks cool. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm fine to see Myrene and Land channel battling. Like, it's great. I mean, she, she was, her life was in danger because there were a bunch of Sean Chan fighting her, but she was channeling the wrong direction. Maybe you can just like channel when your life is in danger, but there's no requirement that you channel at the thing that's putting your life in danger, which is actually true. That is book canon because there are those Aes Sedai who stand on the ledge and that so that they can, so that they feel like they're about to fall so that they think their life is in danger so that they can channel and then they use that to channel in battle. I thought that they were on the edge, but they felt like their life was in danger because it makes them vulnerable to arrows. Oh, I thought it was because they thought they were going to fall. No, it's because they're vulnerable to arrows. Oh, that makes more sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're channeling at the people that are trying to kill them. <laughs> that that does make a lot more sense. But, you know, whatever. I think I think it's just a little, yeah, I think she's playing a little less. I mean, technically was Dark Friends. I don't know that Maureen knew that. We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to think too hard about that. Yep. We get back to the tower. Um, speaking of the Emmonsfield Five, Egwene's air shield against Ishamael is fading. It looks like Ishamael's power is going to finally break through. And then Perrin shows up with Uno's shield and like blocks the hole that the- had started to form in the shield. And I love this because this is a callback to his letter from episode one when he's talking about the phalanx training that they got and how together they're stronger together. And I was just like, oh, I love this so much. Elaine and Nynaeve, or not Elaine. Oh yeah, Elaine and Nynaeve also show up. Nynaeve still carrying Elaine. And Nynaeve carries Elaine over to to Rand's side when Matt continues to apologize profusely, as he should. And they look at the cursed wound that's in Rand's side and Nynaeve still doesn't channel. Instead, we get the meat cute <laughs> of Elaine channeling to save Rand and channeling to knit the wound back together and then her haloed by the sun and he, as he's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm Elaine and shows great restraint and not listing all of her titles. <laughs> It's the first time she shuts up. She's so overwhelmed by <laughs> Dusty Rand, which I don't blame her. He real cute. But why is Nynaeve not channeling his wound closed? Because she still can't channel. She's still blocked. She is still traumatized. She's she's not angry enough. We have six more seasons for her to learn how to do this stuff. What is the point of her? What is the point of Nynaeve? I'm furious. I'm livid. I'm so upset. I mean, she also, like, overpowered Soldom and tortured her with the Adam and apparently pushed an arrow out of Elaine's... <laughs> Nynaeve has one <laughs> thing that she is good at. One thing. And that is healing. When- rage healing. What is... What are we doing? <laughs> what is this writing? Let her channel Rand's <laughs> wound closed, and then you can have the meat cute. You can do both. The scene could have done both. If she had channeled it, she would have healed it all the way. <laughs> no, in the book, she doesn't. In the book, she's the one who heals the cursed wound closed and like is like I shocked know. because she can't heal it all the way. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't even like Nynaeve, and I'm still like justice for Nynaeve in this scene. I don't know. I think it would have been very hard to explain why, when we have seen her do incredible feats of healing in earlier episodes, why she can't heal this wound. And I think it makes more sense to have someone who's not as skilled at healing do it and have that be part of an explanation as to like why it's just not healed right now. But isn't it so much more impactful to have Nynaeve heal it and have it not be healed all the way because she's done this incredible feats of healing and have her be like, I can't heal this all the way. It is. It is. But I think that that would take a lot more explanation than they had, frankly, had time for in this episode. Like, Which is why this episode needed another 10 to 30 minutes. Yeah, I think you would have needed more time, period, like more than 30 minutes, because you also would have had to have established that Nynaeve was, had done all these epic feats of healing with the power. Yeah. Well, she's she's did it in season one where she heals like she rage heals after. Uh, that's fine. We've only seen her channel a couple of times. Yeah. Like I just I I think it would make more sense. And obviously, I have no idea if this what they're gonna do at all. You know, they might not mention this wound ever again or very little. But I think it, if they don't mention this wound ever again, I am also going to be like, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Right. No. No. This wound is important. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. They will. They will. They will mention it again. We don't know how much that will get mentioned, but I think it would make sense if, like, she spends some time attempting to heal it in the next season, and then we could have more time devoted to what that means for the wound, rather than a very quick scene in this episode that is... It would have been lost in this episode. Yeah. I'm going to be annoyed until we get a scene where she talks about how she can't heal it. Okay. Well, in in three years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rand is healed, though. And because of Moiraine's fireball through the Shanchan ships, destroying them and throwing all of the Demonian Soldom into the water, Rand is also no longer shielded. And so he gets up and he lights his sword on fire, walks towards Ishamayel and stabs him in the heart uh, and really drives it home. And Ishamayel falls on the ground and is like, oh, like he, he, I can't remember what he says. It's a very moving line. He's like, it's beautiful. Do you see it lose? And Rand says, what? He says, nothing, nothing at all. And then he dissolves into gray sand. Yeah. Rash. Oh, yes. Thank you. That is obviously what it is. You're great. <laughs> I don't know why I have gray sand in my notes. It's very clearly ash. You are so <laughs> correct. I was like, is this Ishamayel dead forever? Or are we going to get Moradin? I think we'll get Moradin. I think we'll get Moradin too. I think so too. I, especially given what you talked about now where they're like, we wanted to bring Moradin's mindset forward sooner and how he keeps talking about how he's not allowed to die. I think it will be even more impactful if he comes back maybe slightly changed or something. Like I would like to see some sort of change between Ishamayel and Moradin. Yeah. And comes back slightly changed and is like, I still can't die. I mean, he would have to come back in Morden's body, so it won't be. Um, I can't think of his name now. Oh, the actor who plays Ashawn Mile. Yeah, it would have to be a new actor. I will be sad about that. I know because he was great. He was great. I really liked him. Unless they give him like a makeover, so he looks different. <laughs> He's wearing a false mustache and a top hat <laughs> and glasses. <laughs> the mon- monocle. Yeah, Morden the gentleman. <laughs> You'll never guess who he really is. <laughs> We also see that Rand gets the Heron brand, the first of the brandings. Yes, because his sword melted from where he burnt. 
Did he channel flames into the sword? Is that- yes, I'm assuming he channels flames into the sword and destroys the hilt, but I think he, or not the hilt, the blade, but I think the whole sword is on fire. I think in the books, this is the second brand he gets. Yeah. I think he brands himself in the first season, or the first book as well, but I don't remember for sure. <sighs> I really don't remember where he gets this other one. I loved the brands uh, because it's my favorite part of the Carathian cycle. So I was really happy that he finally got officially branded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Moiraine is like, but where is the dragon banner? Like, we need to do the dragon banner. And then she realizes, oh, I am the banner. And she does this really epic channeling of fire and channels this large fire dragon to go around the tower and then land on the tower and roar over the heads of the Evansfield Five as they are looking out over the city to proclaim that Rand is the dragon. Here he is. Hello. Uh, We get these great short shots of a bunch of people like looking at Rand in particular. So we get the maidens who recognize that Rand is the Kara Karn, which is who they've been looking for. We get a shot of Masema looking up at Rand. Of course. And I was just like, oh no. <laughs> we, we see the formation of the prophet. We also, we see Loyal looking up, which is very sweet. And we see Lanfear looking up at her best boy. So proud. So proud of, of her little evil dragon, who's not actually evil, but she's gone to her best. Then um, we cut from that to Lanfear walking through the halls, looking incredibly smug. The battle is over. It's much darker. So presumably it's nighttime or at least early evening. She's changed clothes. I only call that out because the collar on her shirt has the phases of the moon. And I loved that for her. She goes into Ishamayel's room to get the seals and realizes to her horror that all of the seals have been broken. This is what Ishamayel was doing that got his hands all dusty. And there is a woman sitting in a chair creating some sort of weave that looks like spider webs. And I screamed. <laughs> I was so excited. This is Mogedian or Mogadine, depending on how you pronounce her name and or which version of the audiobooks you were listening to. Mogedian. I like Mogedian, the pronunciation that makes sense. Lanfear tries to channel at her and Mogedian is like, nah, ma'am. Throws her into a spiderweb shield and cuts Lanfear's wrist or hand for good measure. Lanfear is clearly terrified. Again, not the most dangerous of the Forsaken. Clear, like, it wasn't just she threw a shield on it. Like, she just released the web she was and the shield snapped into her like a trap like it was not like it was instantaneous it was much to Mogedian's style she laid a very intricate trap for her so like I just thought that was really cool and it, like it showed it came through very well they they have done Mogedian perfectly uh, Mogedian in the books before the age of legends before she swore herself to the dark was oh god what was she she was like an accountant yeah. Uh, she was kind of a, honestly, she would have been a crypto bro in in modern age. <laughs> Probably. And boy, does she look it. She's wearing Doc Martens. She has like this collared shirt. I saw someone joke that Mogedian was just sealed on a Tuesday um, after a board meeting. That's, that's the vibe. She's also got like those hipster bangs, like the really choppy bangs. Mm-hmm. She could definitely have an undercut. It's hard to tell in this scene because it's dark, but. Yeah, so well, she's in the shadows. She's in the shadows, softly, 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 softly. In the shadows. <laughs> She goes up to uh, Lanfear and smells her. Yeah, I thought she was going to lick her. (laughs) For real. 
anything anything is possible with Mogedian. Mogedian is wild and I love her so much. And then she is like, I'm not scared of you. I'm not running. And then proceeds to run through a gate <laughs> and run away from Lanfear, which releases the shield. Uh, also very true to Mogedian. Mogedian is not a direct confrontation type of person. This is probably the most direct confrontation that she would ever want to do with Lanfear. And then Lanfear looks at the rest of the uh, broken seals and she's like, essentially a light help you Rand because we're getting the we're getting all the Forsaken next season hopefully we're really in it now I'm so excited I cannot wait for the Forsaken mostly for Grendel <laughs> I want to see more Mogedian <laughs> I'm super excited for Mogedian I'm I am now we talked about it in episode six from what I remember that I feel like Leandrin is going to actually swear herself to Mogedian because Lanfear killed her son I am now convinced. Mm-hmm. Like, Lanfear is going to find Mogedian next yeah. season, and they are going to team up. They both are obsessed with Nynaeve. You mean Leandrin is going to find Mogedian? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, Leandrin is going to find Mogedian next season, and they're going to team up. Their obsession with Nynaeve is going to bring <laughs> them together. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's the end of episode eight. That's the end of season two. Uh, incredible. Incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. Do we want to theorize about what we're go- where we're going in season three? Well, we can do a little more than theorizing, because one of the last things that Rafe had to say was that they have already filmed scenes in Tanjiko, Ruidian, and they have built a seafolk vessel. Amazing. Yes. And they have started filming stuff on the vessel. Uh, We are going to meet the seafolk, we're going to Ruidian, and we're going to see Tanjiko. I'm super excited. Yes. I'm no longer annoyed that we're not going to tier. I now think we're going to tier in season four rather than like, I think it makes more sense for Rand to get the Aiel, like uh, go to Ruidian and get the Aiel and then just cut out the Shido plot completely and take the Aiel and have them storm tier and get Kalendor that way or whatever else they're going to do. Um, I heard a theory that like, we're not going to have Kalendor, which would mean that we then didn't have Moradin. And I'm like, that's, a little bit crazy. I don't I don't see that happening. Tanchiko is the bull of the wind search, right? Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Which would be why wow, we're getting the seafolk. And that's, is that, okay, so that's Elaine and Nynaeve. And then Egwene, Matt, and Rand would go to the waste mm-hmm. with Moiraine and Lan. Okay, cool. And then hopefully we'll get your scene Thad with <laughs> Lanfear busting out of the cart. Who is Avienda? <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, one of the other things he talked about was just how incredible the cast were because he said a lot of actors don't want to think about like everything that goes into leading into a scene. They just want to know what happens in that moment, what the character's feeling. But he pointed out specifically Natasha, who plays uh, Lanfear, and how he could explain to her that this is somebody you knew in an old life that you were kind of in love with, but you don't want him to know it, but you kind of want him to know it. And he's actually now not actually that person, but he was that person. But he's also in love with this other person. And but you also kind of want to kill him and like all of these layers. <laughs> and like she's just like, OK, got it. And then it shows up perfectly in the way she acted it out. Like you could see all of those layers in the way she, her performance came through. And like that's not something you, you can get just out of any actor. Because there are, like, so many, like, 50 different layers of motives going on in each scene. And, like, if they hadn't had the cast they had, they wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, the casting is perfect, I think. 
And I feel like going on to that, I mean, Yosha read the books, right? Like not everyone who gets cast in a show like this is going to read 14 long ass books. Right? Like that's a lot to ask somebody to read. Like anytime somebody's like, oh, that's your favorite book series. Should I read them? And I'm just kind of like, maybe. Depends. (laughs) That's a personal decision. You have to make that for yourself. You really have to, you know, see if you can commit that much for yourself. I cannot make those decisions for you. So good luck with that. (laughs) I always just say yes. (laughs) Should I read them? Yes. They're very long. It's worth it. (laughs) I mean, it's worked with me, so... I refined my pitch on you because my first pitch didn't work on you. And then I was like, wait, I can do this better. (laughs) The other thing he talked about was how, like, the thing that drew so many people into the the series through reading it and even watching it, it's not like any fantasy. For one thing, there's no patriarchy. It doesn't exist. And there are so many unique concepts when picking out what to bring forward. He was able to forward things that but still resonated with a modern audience. Like there was so much in it that he didn't have to change anything to still be able to use it in a way that makes sense and is interesting for an audience in 2023 versus 1990. And there's so much more that he can pull from that, you know, they've got plenty of stuff going forward to to work with that will be just as interesting and just as unique. He said, when you, you pull it up on Amazon, it gives you like the keywords, like three keywords for what you're watching. And he said the Amazon's keywords for it were strange, ambitious, and epic. And he's like, those words are perfect. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the wheel of time in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Strange, ambitious, epic. Well, I, for all my complaints about episodes six and episode eight, I actually do think that this season has been so amazing. I think that this season has really elevated the show and like really shown what the show can do when they're not hampered by COVID and when they are given like more money to work with. I feel like the more money that is poured into the show, hopefully the more return Amazon will get because like really the show has flourished. And I cannot wait for season three. I'm really happy for all that. I was like, where is Tyr? I'm actually really happy that we're fast tracking to book four. Book four is, in my opinion, the best book of the series. I think a lot of people have that opinion because like, it's where some of the most interesting world building stuff happens. And like really where the story, like in one, two, and three, one, two, books one, two, and three are kind of the same story over and over again. We have the Emmonsfield five plus Land and Moiraine going on a journey to fight the Dark One. Rand, quote unquote, kills the dark one at the kills end. The dark one. And then we do it all over again. Book four is really different. Um, I won't spoil it for, well, even though we said we would have spoilers up at the top. I have tried really hard to not spoil this anything uh, or not much this episode. But book four is where it really like we get a, sh- a change in pace from books one, two, and three. So I love it. I love everything that happens in Ruidian. Um, Ruidian is one of my favorite places in all of Wheel of Time. So I'm so excited for us to get there. I'm excited, but not because we have to wait another however many years. Probably two. Yeah, like eight, 18 months. That's a long time to wait for something that I want now. I did ask Rafe if he thought the strikes were going to hinder production too much. And he said that as long as you know things wrap up pretty quickly, that they should not affect the production that much. Like they've been able to work around it as much as possible. That's good. 
I know that Tom filmed a couple of scenes recently because uh, I follow his Instagram and mm-hmm. he always posts little cheeky shots of him with his trailer with the trailer label. So Ale- is it Alex- Alexander, I think is his name. I can't remember his last name is back. So we'll get Tom next season. Mm-hmm. I think they've been shooting on SAG actors as much as possible and hopefully strikes will be over who knows when soon. The writer's strike is officially done, right? Yes, writer's strike is over. Which is why Rafe could, you know, start promoting again and st- doing stuff. So Got it. it's the actors who are still striking. Yes, they're supposed to come back tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, when we're recording this, not when we release it. So hopefully, the producers will come back with the. Well, it's actually not the producers; it's the studios that can come back with actual counter offers and not just jokes. And we can be through all of this soon. Knock on wood. Hopefully by the time we release this episode of the podcast, the actor strike will be done. Let's put that out into the universe. Let's make that, let's prophesy that. I'm going to have a foretelling that by the time <laughs> we release this episode, the actor strike will be done. That is my foretelling. And hopefully that's not in December. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So knock on wood there. We'll have something soon-ish. Like, 18 months. And in the meantime, we will be bringing you other non-show related content in the future. Thank you so much for joining us on Tarvel on Talks. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to talk about, feel free to send us an email to producer.tvt at gmail.com. Or you can join us on tarvalon.net. In our general forums, we have a special thread called Tarvalon Talks pinned at the top of the page. You can also chat with us via Tarvalon.net's Discord server in the Tarvalon Talks Discord channel. See you next time!